Welcome to the Milk Bottle Shopify e-commerce podcast, brought to you by Milk Bottle Labs, one of the world's top-rated accredited Shopify experts. Our founder, Keith Matthews, interviews Shopify folk to share as many Shopify tips and tricks as possible. This podcast is kindly supported by our two favorite Shopify tools we install in every store, Rewind.io and Clavio. Rewind is the leading backup solution for Shopify stores. Let's just say it's the cheapest insurance policy you'll ever get for your Shopify store, protecting all of your valuable data. And Clavio is our preferred automated email solution and is trusted by over 65,000 brands worldwide. Keep listening. We have some special offers for our podcast fans. Now over to your host, Keith Matthews. Hi, folks. Welcome back. My guest today is Josh Frank from testtriggers.com. Based in Michigan in the United States, Josh has made a living from helping Shopify store owners optimize the most important Shopify page, the product page. It sounds simple, it's really, really important, and it requires experience and skill. So let's hear how we can improve and maximize conversions on your Shopify product page. Josh, welcome. How are you? I'm great, Keith. Thanks for having me. Josh, I have been following you in the socials, and we're also part of Kurt's Slack group. So we have uh, you've helped me along the way over the last couple of years. So thank you very much for that. I have finally gotten to speak to somebody who is obsessed with product pages as much as me. So I'm really looking forward to this chat. Myself as well. There's plenty to dig into, that's for sure. As e-commerce evolves and as COVID has pushed people in certain directions, it's interesting that people are beginning to completely mess up the product page even quicker and uh, doing a really, really good job of it, I've noticed in the last 12 months. So before we start, tell us about Test Triggers. Yeah, so um, we'll start, I guess, a little before Test Triggers, which is... um I've always been uh, been in in e-commerce and worked at a couple of different companies, kind of uh, working my way up to, to head up their e-commerce. And after a while, people kept asking me again, "How do I how do I get more from my e-commerce store? How do I get more from my e-commerce store?" And I said, "Well, maybe I should just go out on my own and and, and help as many brands as I can." So I started Test Triggers um, six years ago um, with the intent of working on e-commerce stores and helping them improve their conversion rates. So sometimes that means you know. Looking at analytics and and giving recommendations. Other times we're doing monthly A/B testing, um, but I just uh, have kind of gotten obsessed with under, deeply understanding customers and why they buy things and helping stores to to uh, put that messaging on their site in a way that that gets more sales. Interesting. And when you work with a the client then to to analyze. I suppose, the performance of the store. Is that a, a three-month, six-month, or a 12-month project? I'm assuming you have to be with the client for a period of time to, to have enough data to be able to advise. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there, there are typically uh, uh, you know, two ways that, that I'll work with a client. One is we'll do what we call like CRO tactical, which is basically let's dig in for, for six to eight weeks and take a look at your analytics, get a, get a baseline of some user testing and uh, customer surveys and things like that. So we can give them, you know, hey, you know, I know there are a thousand different things you can do on your store, but if you if you knock off these fifteen to twenty, these are the high priority changes you can make that can improve conversions. Um, on the other hand, if the client has um, enough traffic to support A/B testing, we'll say, okay, in the next, you know, six months, nine months, let's knock off a couple of A/B tests every month um, and work on tweaking and iterating your store to make it um, as successful as it can be. You're based in Michigan, and I just checked it on the map. So for for our international listeners, I never realized it was so near Canada. Oh yeah, I mean, I grew up uh, about ten minutes from the from the bridge to to Canada. So it was always we grew up with it, you know. So um, it was so common. But then you even speak to people, other people in the states, they're like, 
I just didn't realize you would just see Canada from, <laughs> you know, yeah. So it's just, a, it's just a tiny little, a little river that, that separates uh, Detroit and Windsor. So, so yeah, it's always been, uh, been funny to talk to people about that. Cause it is kind of surprising to a lot of people. So is Michigan full of Canadians then because it's so close? Would it make, is that, or is that a stupid question? <laughs> no, I mean, not quite. There's, there's plenty of, um, work travel, like between the, so lots of people that live in Canada, work in the U S and kind of, uh, um, vice versa. But if you go, to the very like northern parts of 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 Michigan, um, you don't get a lot of Canadians, but they everyone speaks like they're Canadian. The Canadian <laughs> accent has like morphed <laughs> yeah. into that that northern part of 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 Michigan. But yeah, I'm I'm like uh, an hour north of Detroit, um, just about. And uh, yeah, it's a Michigan's a, a neat spot, and and there's um, not not a ton of Canadians living there, but there's always you know the thing was always you know growing up, everyone would scoot over to Canada when they were a young a teenager because. You could you could go over there at nineteen and have a beer in, yeah, in the yeah. states. So that was always like the little yeah. <laughs> everyone yeah. Still, go there and have their fun. And yeah. Yeah. it's still twenty one in the states. The drinking age is it correct? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, okay. Well, well, I'm going to ask you for your list. Right? What are the most common mistakes that you've seen on Shopify stores? <laughs> well, to be honest, you'd mentioned kind of I don't want to call it an e commerce boom, right? Because e commerce has been growing for for so long. But certainly, COVID has has pushed a lot of people even more to, to online stores. And so online stores are always coming to me and saying, if I can only, you know, I only have this much time and this much resources, where should I be spending my time? And, and I used to, I used to dislike that question because I would say, well, you know, you should really be digging into everything and trying to optimize here and there. And eventually I gave in and said, wait a minute, if everyone just focuses on their product pages, you can do, do a lot. Um, and so Maybe we'll start with the with some of the not to do things that I just see a lot. Um, again, particularly with everything happening right now on, on on product pages. So let's not let's knock off a couple of those things. And I would say that a lot of a lot of um, stores, their biggest concern right now is is supply chain. Whether something's in stock, out of stock, what's the lead time? Um, and so being transparent and honest uh, with customers is the best way to go. What I really don't like seeing is you get to a product page. And or or wherever you land on the site, and the first thing you're hit with is an email pop up, and you close the email pop up, and you immediately get a pop up for a live chat, and then you close that, and then you're just trying to find information about this product, and there's a countdown ticker that says, you know, this product is half off, but only if you order it in the next two and a half minutes, and all of these little you know hacks and tricks to try and you know coerce people into buying something is really just the the wrong approach, and so. It stems from two things. One, like I mentioned before, you're just trying to get as many people to to, to convert as possible, which I which I certainly understand. But it also stems from the fact that people that work on their stores tend to not actually view their stores as a user all that often. Um, so what I really recommend a lot of people do is take out your phone, turn off your Wi-Fi, open a private browser window or an incognito browser window. And shop your store on a, on a relatively slow internet connection. That is how a lot of people are looking at your store. And if you're getting frustrated with the pop-ups and with the slide outs and with the inability to find the information, then your users are probably 10 times more, <laughs> more bothered by that. So I really think that everyone should be using their store as closely as they can like a customer. Just on that. So that look, that's a really, really important point. But But I, in some cases, you could actually blame Shopify for that because the apps that are driving those, the Google page experience update, for example, is forcing people to really look at what is popping up on their, on their store, which is exactly what you've mentioned. You also have loyalty programs, you have accessibility icons. 
you know, people also bought triggers in the, in the, in the left corner. I would blame Shopify for some of that because these apps are just so easy to install and, and get up and running. Yeah, I would say that that's a, that's a really great point. Every time a store, a store owner is, is in the app store, right there, every single app is going to tell you that they can increase your sales, right? But when you start to, to build them like a house of cards on top of each other and, and, and from the, you know, from the back end of Shopify, it all looks great, but the actual store experience starts to suffer. Um, and again, I, I would say that if you are running a Shopify store and you've never done um, user tests with a tool like usertesting.com or um, there's another one called Playbook UX, um, I would highly, highly uh, recommend that because you will be you will be astonished at at what someone thinks of of your store and, and what they say and, and their experience and maybe their their difficulty finding a certain product. Um, you'll be shouting at the screen like, no, 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 you just have to click on that nav button and it's under this thing and it's in that flyout menu. So Josh, how does how does that tool work then? Just just, just give us a rundown on how yeah. you, is it co- does it require a code install? No, no, no. So user testing um, is really simple. You basically, um, you'll, you'll sign up with, again, like a tool like usertesting.com or playbook.ux, I think is the, is the other one that I've used a lot. Uh, you will pick an audience. So you'll say, um, you know, I, I'd like people in this age group, uh, people that have this level of sophistication with the internet, um, and the tool will go out and find you six to eight participants. I don't recommend really much more than that. The, the diminishing returns start to hit after, after you've watched six or seven of them, um, do them on mobile. Um, and then you will, uh, the, most of them have templates for the questions that you would ask this person, but basically a user tester is going to use your site. And they're going to be speaking out loud to a recorded video that you will then get to watch. So you'll see how they interact with your site. And then you can ask them a couple of questions about, you know, on a scale of one to five, how trustworthy does this site feel? Um, and you can also do that for your competitors' sites, which is a lot of, provides a lot of, of insights. But um, yeah, it's, it's quite easy. There's no code install needed. Um, and you can, you can get a ton of, of insights out of that. Now, I am saying this, and I have said this for years and years and years, and almost nobody ever actually takes me up on this offer and, and does user testing. So I I understand that you know you know I'm doing air quotes here. Research always yeah. sounds uh, uh, boring and not as fun as downloading and, and, and installing a new Shopify app. Uh, but I pro- I promise you, if you set up a batch of user tests, you get five to six videos. You sit down in the evening with a glass of wine or a bourbon or whatever your drink of choice is, and you watch them. Uh, you will you will learn more than you would if you jumped in and spent two hours in Google Analytics. I promise you that. I believe you 100%. And I think that one of our tools of choice is Hotjar. But the problem, of course, with Hotjar is you need the time to review the actual videos. But the tool that you've just mentioned seems to be maybe Hotjar on steroids. Of course, yeah, yeah, now, now in, for sure. with, your, with your service, do your team sit down and watch the videos on behalf of the customer? Is that, is that the way you work for, for large clients? Yeah, so we will we will set up the user tests, we will watch them, and we will say, okay, for each video, here are the top three to four bullet point lists. But then I will also talk to the you know the, the CEO or the director of e-commerce and say, I understand that you don't want to spend an hour and a half watching these videos. I completely understand that. But there will be insights that they get that I can't even get because they're so close to the product um, that they will get different insights. So I, I try really hard to get people to watch them. But that being said, our team, you know, evaluates them, pulls all the top insights out um, and grabs those. And same to be said for Hotjar. Your, your point is is really um, a good one on, on Hotjar, which is 
Hotjar is a fantastic tool. I've been using it for forever. Um, but again, watching recordings, you may have to watch 20 or 25 before you start getting a couple with some insights. Um, so it can be, it could take a little while. Also, heat maps are good, but usually unless something is wrong, it's a little tough to see insights from a heat map. We love using the visitor polls. Um, so one of the the visitor polls being, of course, I'm now going to talk about something else that pops up when you're when you're viewing the site. But um, so, Josh, on that though, I've heard some yeah. really really good feedback, and I've heard you talk about visitor polls. So, can you just explain mm-hmm. to the users basically what it is? And also, are you talking about visitor polls on the front end of the site, or visitor polls after they've gone through a transaction, or they're just about to abandon the page? I suppose my next question, embedded in the in what you're going to talk about, is at what point should you ask the user for their opinion? For sure, yeah. So we we gather customer feedback in a, in a couple of, of different ways. So visitor polls is a, is a large tool that we use, which we will always do a, a three-question set. So for a, we'll run each one for about you know two to three weeks, depending on the amount of traffic. The first one we'll do is, it's pretty simple, on whatever page the user lands on, after about... 10 to 15 seconds, we'll slide up a little poll that says, what brought you here today? Um, nearly every time we run a visitor poll, we use an open-ended question. So not a multiple choice or not like an NPS score one to 10. We just ask a question and let people type into the box, whatever they feel. We do that because you don't know what someone's going to say that might trigger like, oh, wow, I really didn't realize people were speaking like that about our product. And so we'll run that one on the homepage. We'll run another one on category and product pages that that will say, what trouble did you have finding the product you were looking for? Or we might say, what's missing from this page that would help you um, make a buying decision? Something like that. Um, And then the last one we will do, which is by far the the most important that we get the best insights from, is after someone makes a successful purchase on the thank you page, we will ask, what nearly stopped you from making your purchase today? Um, And I know a lot of people will run this poll to people that are about to abandon and say, why didn't you make a purchase today? But we just found that when you ask people that don't buy, they will 85 to 90% of them will say price. Um, and that doesn't, they don't actually mean that it's too expensive. What they mean is that it's not valuable enough for them to part with their cash. So when you ask people that have actually purchased qualified buyers, but you ask them, what's that one hesitation that you had that nearly stopped you from purchasing? They will give you a gold mine of answers. So we'll, we'll run those until we get, um, you know, 75 to hundred responses, and then we'll go through all of those. And we'll specifically look for someone that says words like never, always love, hate, afraid, oh, all th- and things like that. So Josh, just on that then, are you, are you in that survey? Okay. I suppose visitor survey, it's not customer survey because some of them are obviously aren't purchasing. Are you taking an email address and giving them a reward? Are you following up with them or is there any follow-up? No, with those, there's there's generally uh, no no follow up. Um, we don't, you know, it's a, it takes about you know six to eight seconds. You know, we'll send a little thank you message just on the page. But we found that unless we're doing uh, like a like a visitor like a like a customer survey through email, that's maybe fifteen to twenty questions long. With those, I always say I'll say you know we'll put you in a raffle for a fifty dollar Amazon card or something like that. But when it comes to Hotjar, it's just a pretty simple survey with no no kind of perks or email needed. Okay. That's probably the best feedback you could ever get. Is that right? From from any visitor. I, I like to, like I mentioned in the beginning, store owners are always saying, I don't have time to do all of this. What is what is the one or two things that I could do? 
One is I would say, whether it's user testing or asking the specific question at the end of a purchase, those would be the two biggest ones. Um, if you don't have Hotjar installed, you can still do this. If you grab the email addresses of the last two to 300 people to purchase your product and you email them back and say, hey, thanks for making your purchase. You know, I, you know, we asked this one question to help make our products better. What's the one you know, hesitation you had before making your purchase? You can just do that. You can set that up in Klaviyo or whatever else. Um, but trying to understand from the people that did end up purchasing, they, you know they had fears, hesitations, doubts about your product. Um, having a list of those and saying, uh, so for our clients, we'll do this uh, research and then we'll give them back what we call cornerstone FUDs. So FUD just stands for fears, uncertainty, and doubts. So we'll boil it down and say, okay, for your product, the top three of these hesitations were you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, this should now be ingrained in your whole company's like ethos. Yeah. People on your store are worried about these things, whether it's whether a product will fit or you know, uh, they're afraid it's going to break after this amount of time, or they didn't think it would be as good as this other product. Um, customer service should know these things. Your sales team should know these things. So I'm, I'm assuming then that you as the advisor advises the client to use that information to influence the product, but also more importantly, to influence the content on the very page that you're that you're discussing, which is the products, the Shopify, the PDP, we call it the product display page. Absolutely. So it's it's very important that we take that information and then say, okay, let's go back to the product page. Somewhere in the buy box, are you addressing these concerns by saying, um, you know, our products have a you know have a one year warranty if anything breaks. We have a return policy, a no questions asked return policy. We um, Again, let's say let's say it's uh, so it's food or supplements or something like that. People are always going to ask, do you have harmful ingredients? That's going to be a top concern. So you'll say, you know, free from this chemical and that chemical. So it's different for every store, obviously, but you've got to then bring those insights back to the product page and 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 walk it through like that. So when we when we go through a PDP or a product page, we use what's called a script formula. So script just stands for story, clarity, reviews, images parts and pieces and terms. Um, and the, the, the sort of quick walkthrough, and we can sort of dig into any of these specifics, um, you know, uh, through with the rest of this conversation, but story is basically, does your product page tell a captivating story about how your product improves someone's situation? So what we mean by that is um, the old adage, like people don't buy products, they buy better versions of themselves or they buy outcomes. Um, and that is, you know, throughout your whole product page to be weaved this understanding of, you know, somebody isn't necessarily buying, um, you know, a protein bar because they, they want to, you know, they want to have a giant box of protein bars. They want to be full and they want to know that they didn't eat something terrible like a cheeseburger, you know, so Agreed. that is what they're actually looking for. Right. <laughs> That's a good they example. Don't, they don't, yeah. They, they don't wake up and they're like, oh, I've got to have protein bars. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't want to feel bad about what I eat. Um, and I want to have, have energy for the rest of the day. Uh, clarity is, you know, have you combed through your whole page and taken all the cliche and overused terms like satisfaction guaranteed um, and, and kind of gotten rid of that and made everything clear? There's always a trend to my, try and make your copy as clever as possible. Uh, clever is really, really hard to do well. And it often comes off as egotistical or just unclear. Um, the trick I always use for this is if you were to, if you were sitting down 
with a friend, like at a coffee shop, and you're explaining to them how your product works, that's how you should write your product page. Just like you're explaining it to a friend over a text message, even, right? It's, it's, it's how people speak to each other. So that's always how we talk about clarity. Um, reviews is pretty, you know, pretty obvious. We should all have reviews, right? But, but not everyone has a hundred reviews on every product page. So when you start to get a few, pull them out of your Yotpo and just feature them on the page. Sometimes we even on the product images, the lower third of the product image will be an overlay with a featured review. Um, Nobody tells your story better than other people that have used the product. It's more trustworthy. It's it's not going to be in weird, uh, cliche language. Um, so reviews are, are huge. And Josh, just on that, I mean, the reviews apps that are out there right now, they are giving every store owner the opportunity to plant those stars and the reviews all over the page. The the trend in the last 12 months has been this kind of reviews carousel that you can present on the, as a section on the homepage of your Shopify store. So like one thing I can't understand with store owners that have reviews and have a lot of them. Well, one one thing they could do is exactly what you said, is overlay the actual review on the product photos, but also bring it through the site. And a lot of people don't even create the, the full page of customer reviews. They don't even bring the stars in under the title or the price on the product. So a lot of people, I think, already have the tools to bring in reviews and they're just not using it. Yeah, I've often found a, a repeatable situation is when a store is very new, they say, we have to have reviews. We don't have any reviews. And they get, become obsessed with getting reviews, which is great. Then they get reviews and they're like, yeah, just stick them like way, way, way down on the product page <laughs> yeah. and have a, t- a tiny little star icon near the name. Like that'll be enough. Um, but again, I really encourage store owners to grab their best reviews. And by best reviews, I don't necessarily just mean the five-star ones. Um, sort of, Sort of the perfect review is always something where someone says like, um, I was afraid that this product wouldn't work because of X, but it turned out to be the perfect you know solution that I needed because it does X, Y, and Z. Well, you know, like that's kind of the formula because people love to hear, oh, I'm not the only one that was worried that this protein bar would taste chalky or that it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't leave me full, whatever else. So those types of reviews are 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 great, um, and also there, there are store reviews, so reviews where someone says. Uh, let's just keep going with the protein bar analogy here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I bought, I bought a 24 pack of the protein bars. They sent me the wrong flavor, but you know, Jim, the CEO emailed me back himself and sent me the the other box uh, for free or whatever. Right. Those store reviews where someone has a small little issue, it was solved without, an, without, you know, problem. Everyone's happy um, featuring those throughout your, your entire site, not just on a product page is going to be incredibly valuable. Um, you are competing against, you know, a lot of, of other brands. And so the more you can, uh, this is a, here's a cliche phrase, but like make your store, make your site kind of come to life. What I mean by that is copy and text from users, conversations, those types of things make it uh, onto your page. It just makes it seem like there are real people behind this site actually operating this. And, and, and that's why, you know, I'm not buying from, from Amazon or whatever else. Rewind.io is the leading backup solution for your Shopify store. Did you know that there's no way of recovering lost data? If your store is gaining traction, app developers or multiple staff may enter your store, and there's absolutely no way of fixing human error. Rewind.io allows you to rewind your store back to its original state, so you can reduce your business risk immediately with the Rewind app. It's so easy, and it's the cheapest and best insurance policy you'll ever need for your Shopify store. 
Get your first month for free by simply replying to your first email from Rewind and mention this podcast. Now, regular listeners will know I love Clavio. It's the single biggest revenue generator I've ever seen across hundreds and hundreds of Shopify stores I've been in. Clavio's data-driven marketing automation platform is sophisticated enough to power those legendary campaigns from the big brands you admire, but they make it simple, they make it easy, and they make it fast. To get started with a free trial of Clavio, visit clavio.com forward slash milk bottle. That's clavio.com forward slash milk bottle. So Josh, just to go back, so it's a good idea to overlay uh, recent reviews or even uh, uh, have a full review as the, as an image in your store, bring the reviews up from the bottom. And I've also heard you talk in the past about um, the mistake that people make when they hide reviews inside a tab. Can you just give the, the listeners detail on that? Yeah, it's, it's another, it sort of goes back to what we were talking about before, where a lot of it starts because you don't have a lot of reviews. So you don't want to say... <laughs> We have one review and it's three stars. You hide it in a tab called reviews. But then as you start to get more and more reviews, it just makes no sense to hide it inside of a, of a tab. Again, we, we want to be bringing this stuff to the, to the forefront. And, and if, you, if you absolutely have to use some sort of tabbed approach, I always recommend an accordion model where the accordion, each, each set of the accordion, whether it's description, specifications, and reviews, they're all open like a quarter of the way. So you can still see a little bit of the content inside of the accordion. And then you can kind of hit a read more button to open it all the way up. That tends to give somebody an idea of, okay, um, they're not, ex- it's not exactly hidden. A little tough to explain on a podcast, but there are examples out there of that method that just kind of, from what we've tested, seems to be the best way. If you must sort of hide content a little bit, but that's the, the, the best way to approach that. So give them, give, give the user a, a little kind of tease of the first uh, part of the first paragraph. And exactly, if, so if, they if, can see that. Yeah, and if, specifications, if, uh, the specifications tab has a has a sizing table inside of it. Okay, neat. That's what I need for this T-shirt. I want to see a sizing table and yeah. uh, whatever else. That's an important takeaway. Okay, let's talk about the things and stores that really, really annoy you. Okay, and what I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to just share a quick list of the yeah, possible yeah, yeah. possible pop ups when they're all combined make a homepage a disaster. So Clavio pop up, right? It's mm-hmm. necessary evil, $5 off your next order. There's no doubt about it. it. It does work and people do subscribe. But then people, the minute you, you close that out, people have these bingo carousels where, you know, win a prize, this kind of thing. And it takes up about 25% of the homepage. Then because you have X'd out of the first Clavio pop-up, store owners decide to give you a second pop-up, which you may actually decide to close out again. Then you have some apps are putting reviews on the left-hand side of the page People also bought on the left-hand side of the page. And then you have loyalty icons on the right corner, accessibility icons on the left. So that's eight in total of possible apps that customers can add to their store, which really, really annoy the user. Can you give us your top five based on all of the stores that you've tested and all of the merchants that you've worked with? The things that drive me crazy? Yes, annoying, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> uh so I would say that the one that probably annoys me the most is this combination of fake urgency and fake stock message in stock messaging. So when I, when I land on a product page and it says, you know, you have to order this in the next seven minutes and 13 seconds, or else the price is going to double, which it's not because that's almost always a lie. Um, The other one is, when I'm buying a pair of socks and it tells you that they're to, to hurry up, there's only, you know, there are only two pairs of these socks left, which again, in 
for the for the kind of technical people out there, you can usually right click on that and inspect the element, and it's just a random JavaScript generator that generates a number between one and four, yeah. you know, to, to lie to you about the yeah. stock messaging uh, for that. It's disingenuous, it is. and hundred percent. It's rate. just yeah, it's 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 cheap looking, and it just it takes it takes away from what really sells on a consistent basis. And I would say that sometimes that might convince a few more people to purchase, but it will not create lifelong customers, right? And so part of that, I think, the unfortunate thing about a lot of that is, I think a good portion of e-commerce stores, when it really gets boiled down, they are selling a commodity. They may not have a real brand story. They might not have products that are all that great. They might be drop shipping. And so you might need to use those kind of tactics to try and squeeze every little a sale that you can out, but I would encourage you to just feedback to your product, develop your brand story, because otherwise, again, you're you're just kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're you're trying to get that sale, but you're not going to get the lifetime customer. So those annoy me the most because they're just they're they're just disingenuous, um, and and that stuff just just driving us. Another thing is when I see just overused run of the mill copy um, where it's like. Uh, you know, it's it, again, we'll find you're, you're selling socks, let's say, and it's the most comfortable socks you'll ever wear. Well, wouldn't everyone say that? I yeah. mean, yeah. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, um, as opposed to, you know, let's say, you know, let's say you like comb through all of your uh, customer reviews and someone said, you know, these socks are so comfortable. I fell asleep in them. Like, and I woke up and they were still comfortable, right? Because no one yeah. wants to sleep in their socks. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. But if they were so comfortable, you would sleep in them. That that's something that's like a little yeah. bit different and 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 is the has the ability to actually, you know, plant in someone's mind. But boring run of the mill copy, uh, you know, but, our socks are satisfaction guaranteed. But Josh, we use only the best materials. <laughs> it's just you know, droning and boring. Josh, what you've really said to summarize is, you know, you should be honest because the, the false urgency is dishonest and it's it's just, it's actually quite unethical, you know, if you want to build, as you say, a long-term sustainable business. My big pet hate is chat icons that are covered, half covered by a loyalty icon. And then when you do go to chat, the first thing they do is ask you for your email address and there's nobody at the other end. Like, wh- why, yes. why, why have that? Like straight away, it's a bad customer experience, especially if you're on a store with, with, which has a, you know, high, you know, a two, three hundred, five hundred, a thousand dollar average order value. Where the where the items really really do warrant somebody at the other end, you know, helping the customer, and um, that's I have to say that's my pet hate. Kind of going back to the, the script framework, which is sort of our our guidelines and, and workflow for optimizing a product page. We've talked about S for story, C for clarity, R for reviews. The next one would be images. So, I think the image gallery might be the most under optimized section of a product page, um, particularly if you have a sort of a complicated product. Or something that needs a little bit of explanation, and you expect someone to read through your description, but um, you know they probably won't. <laughs> so I always recommend it in a, a image gallery. Let's say, let's use another example here. Um, you're selling um, really nice uh, mountain bikes. Um, so one would be you have a let's say it's a mountain bike and it's collapsible; it folds down really nicely or, or it compacts really nicely. Well. You might say that in your description, but it would be much better if you just showed in the image gallery, show it being used on a mountain trail, show it also being folded up nicely and put into a small car. Also, let's show a picture of the of the mountain bike and have annotated images, so like little arrows that point to um, the seat and say, 
eight-way adjustable seat or, you know, uh, talk about all the little benefits and point to them. Um, that's an, a way to really uh, use that image gallery the best you can. Why not take a couple of your top Instagram posts from users and put those in there as well? We talked about maybe overlaying um, uh, uh, user reviews on top of a, a bottom third. There are a million different things you can do with your product images. People are going to click and go through those images if they're interested. Let's make the most of that of that section. Again, like I said, I really think this is one of the top under optimized areas of uh, of the product uh, of the product page. But Josh, is there a reason for that? Is it because people invest sometimes in expensive photography and they don't want to destroy the images? Would that be a reason? Maybe in the fashion sector, the beauty sector, or are you seeing that kind of? lack of um, appetite to, to layer messages over the images? Are you seeing that across all sectors? So I see it I see it pretty much everywhere. Sometimes really overly technical companies will, will do it because they have no other choice. But what I tend to find when I talk to brands about this is they say, oh, no, 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 we don't need to say that because that's in the, that's in the product description. Well, okay. right. But saying something once doesn't mean yeah. <laughs> you said it enough for someone to see it. Yeah. So even, and even on and I understand people have a brand concern. They want all their pictures to look, you know, everything has to be beautiful and nothing to disrupt it. But even in fashion, why not point to um, the waistband and say, you know, 25% stretch material here for, for you know, for increased comfort. Um, this this shirt is pre-shrunk. Or, or how about saying the model that's wearing this t-shirt is five foot 10, 180 pounds, right? Yeah. So now people have this frame of reference. You're really just like, again, making the site come to life and giving all these little nuanced details that help people um, with all the little questions. And if you talk to your customer service team or whoever's, hopefully someone's running that chat bot, they can say, here are all the questions people have. And then just bake that stuff right back into the page. And the next the next part on, on this script format is parts and pieces, uh, which still kind of comes off of the back of that, which is people want to know, what exact 